Good morning, everyone, and I know it's been a while again since I've recorded a podcast episode. Uh, There's just been so much going on in my own personal life that I honestly just have gotten to a place where I don't want to say that I don't want to do this podcast. I I constantly think about this this podcast. I constantly think about getting back to it and finding things to talk about because I used to just be inspired all the time. Like there was never a topic on my mind that I didn't think that should be on the podcast. That should be on the podcast or, Oh my God, that should be on the podcast. But lately I haven't been inspired to talk about the things that are going on in my own personal life. And it kind of sucks because that was the whole intention of this podcast to begin with. Uh, The Motivation Burrito was literally created so that I could share my experiences in real time or, you know, shortly after, like after I've processed it and, and, you know, learned the lesson or saw the lesson and provide tools and, and, and ways for anybody else who's experiencing these things to, to like learn the lessons too. And not only that, I, it was a safe place for the conversation, right? Because even if my experiences don't have a lesson that can help you, or even if my methods aren't exactly methods that'll work for you, you at least came out of the episode knowing that there's someone out there who's experiencing what you're experiencing, who can open the door for the conversation, who talks about the topic or talks about topics that are you know, not as discussed in in the real world and just really be like a place of support, a place of peace, a place of safety. And to be honest, like I've done none of that. And there is a part of me that feels like I have failed tremendously not just in terms of the podcast, but in terms of all aspects of my life. Um, I've been having relationship issues. I talked about my paintings in my my last podcast because I was doing paintings to like minimize my stress. And they're awesome. I love them. Like some of them I genuinely want to hang like all around the apartment we don't have that kind of room, but I genuinely want to hang them. And I decided to try and sell them and they're not selling. Um, I ended up switching departments at work because I just couldn't deal with being micromanaged to the degree where, you know, I was just constantly stressed out and feeling, feeling like a scapegoat on the team. Um, so I just wasn't happy at work either. And I have to say, it it got to a point where I felt like it was better for me to not talk about these things. One, because I didn't want people to look at me and, and, and feel sympathy or, or feel or look at me in any negative sort of way. And two, because it was so, so personal I just, I mean, honestly, like, I I don't know. 
to, to be honest, I don't know if I did it because I wanted to keep this image of me and him having this perfect relationship, which there are times where I've talked about like my anxiety. There are times where I've talked about like a little fight that we've had or a discussion that we've had that ended up being a deep discussion, but I didn't talk about this. And, you know, a part of me feels like I should have, but I didn't want to paint him in a bad light either, because if you're on the outside looking in, you may not see the little nuances in between that the two people who are present in the relationship see. At the same time, outside looking in can sometimes provide a different perspective that we may not be seeing because we're so emotionally invested in each other that we're not seeing our own blocks. We're not seeing our own limitations. We're not seeing the other side or the other person's point of view. And that's what's been happening. It's we just stopped seeing each other's point of view. We stopped understanding each other. And it's literally been such, it's felt like, a huge brick wall and I'm not talking like huge and tall but also huge in like thickness I feel like no matter what I do I can't get through to him and make him understand my feelings um I feel like I can't get through and just get us back to where we were so I went into I went into a place of just like controlling and smothering and just trying so hard rather than taking a step back and giving him time to see it for himself. Because you know what? Like eventually the truth comes out. That is the one thing that I know to be universally true, that eventually the truth comes out. You got to give it the space to and you got to allow it to happen. And it's interesting because I stepped back the other day. I literally got to my breaking point. I was done. I was just like, I give up. I can't do this anymore. And to be honest, I'm still there. I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm like so done with trying to make people see things. And that's literally what happened with my job too. Like with my job, I kept on saying like, hey, this is happening. Hey, this is happening. You know, this is going on. It's going to lead to this. Nobody believed me. So I finally like, went up to one of my higher ups and I said, I need something different. I need something different. I either that or I'm, I'm gone, but I would rather not leave the company because we've been here for almost six years already. So can we just find something different for me? <laughs> so, and sorry, my allergies are kind of shitty this morning. Um, but yeah, I asked my, one of my higher ups for something different and we ended up finding like a different team for me to be on, which was awesome. And sure enough, within one week of me leaving my original team, I was getting messages from a couple of the team members like, oh my God, it's gotten like bad. Like you were right. And I was just like, I know, I know. Because I saw it coming because I tried to warn people and nobody listens. So I already know. And then there was another situation this weekend where my boyfriend did something and I was just like, I was like, instead of doing what you just did, what you should have done was you should have done like, 
I'm not going to go into details, but basically he like did something and there's, so the thing with my boyfriend is that every time he does something, I keep on telling him there's like five other different ways to do it. Or there's five other things that he could have thought about and did any one of those other things versus what he actually did. He's very like impulsive and he's very like in the moment. So he just does things and he doesn't really think them through. Me, I'm a think things all the way through type of person. And I also think like four or five steps ahead. So he did one of his impulsive things and it was an impulsive purchase. And I told him, instead of doing that, you could have done this, this and this, got more bang for your buck. And like, you know, like it would have been a much better situation. And he's like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. And then all of a sudden, two days later, this past weekend, it came up and it turned out what I was saying that he should have bought was right. So it's just like, I basically got to a point where I was doubting myself. I got to the point where I didn't believe in myself anymore. I didn't believe in anything. I, I really felt like nobody cared. I really felt like nobody was listening. And I just felt so unseen and so unheard. And it was just like, it really like, when you're someone like me, who your whole goal through podcasting, through painting, through everything, when your life is about expression, when that is your innate desire to express yourself, whether it's through a podcast, whether it's through painting, because painting is a form of expression, right? You pour your heart and soul onto that canvas. The colors that you choose are based on your mood. Everything tells a story. The moment you select those paints, the moment you select those colors, you are getting ready to tell a story. That is what it comes down to. That is what art is. The moment you pick up a brush, if you do, you know, brush painting, the moment you select your paints, if you do paint pours like I do, anything that is artistic, the moment you start, you are getting ready to tell a story. Just like this podcast, the moment I hit record, I am getting ready to tell you a story. I am getting ready to share something with you. I am getting ready to express myself and give you a piece of me in some way. And that is what my art is about too. I'm giving you a piece of me. There is one particular painting that I wish would sell and it's called Hey Pumpkin and I love it. And the color blend just ended up being so beautiful. And it was at, you know, it was around... October so it was you know like pumpkin themed obviously but there's a story behind it and it's a personal story and I'm not going to tell it but there's a story behind it you know there was a moment that I felt that day and the day that I painted it like I had an experience and I selected those colors and again I painted painted because everything we do if you're an artist or if you're a podcaster you know um, but yeah, mostly artists or again, anyway, anybody who chooses to express themselves, anything you do that is in the form of expression, 
you were there to tell a story, whether it be personal, whether it be the story of someone else, you know, by carrying on a memory. Because I have pieces from another friend. Like I, you know, I'm also huge on supporting other people. And I have so many pieces from my friend Christina, who some of them are memories of an experience that she had, or some of it has been created for me based off a memory of someone or something that I had. So sometimes it may not be a present moment. Sometimes the painting may be because of a memory or it may be in dedication to another person or a loved one. But all of this to say, I got to a point where I just, I doubted myself. Really, really got to the point where I, and you know what, it didn't help that I guess here's where I'm going to be honest. And again, I don't want you to think that he's a bad person. I really don't. So when I say this, I say this because, again, we have a communication block. And it happens. And I will also be honest and upfront in saying I do not have an answer right now. I don't. I honestly don't know how this is going to resolve itself. I honestly don't know the solution. I don't know if there is a solution. I don't know if this will be resolved. I don't know where we're headed. And it kills me. And to be honest, I thought we were headed for a breakup many times. So there's been a lot of tears and a lot of crying. Because when your whole relationship is based on communication, when you start off with the strongest communication and really being able to be open and vulnerable to the person you're with. And all of a sudden you hit this huge, huge wall. It's stressful. And especially when you can't see your way past your this wall and the person you love feels so distant from you, it's stressful. So we hit this wall and I would tell him things and, you know, whether it'd be an argument or a situation that comes up, you know, I would tell him like, Hey, this is what's really going on. You know, this is how you're acting. This is how I'm acting. I'm taking accountability here. You're making me feel this way. And he would tell me you're wrong or it's all in your head. You're just imagining things or that's your anxiety. Like, and I knew it wasn't. But I also knew that right now there's a block. So I'm like, all right, what isn't he seeing? Like, is he just not seeing any error in his actions? Is he not seeing things the way that I'm seeing things? Are we interpreting this differently? Like, where are we not seeing eye to eye? And the fights would get worse and worse and worse. But that wasn't really the goal of this podcast today, by the way. I had a completely different topic in mind. Well, not completely different. Similar topic. Maybe it does kind of go hand in hand. Or eventually one will lead to the other. Um, 
my original goal for this podcast was to talk about the holidays and to talk about depression and suicide and anxiety and all the things that can come up during the holidays, you know, stress also. Um, So yeah, you know, my experiences lately have been horrible. And again, I guess one does tie into the other because I have I have gotten to my breaking point several, several times. But I originally, the reason why I got off topic was because I I was starting by saying the goal of this podcast has always been to share experiences, to provide lessons, to provide my experiences, to provide resources and tools and methods and to just share with people what I've done to come out on the other side. And this is not something that we generally talk about. It, it was briefly mentioned um, in one of my previous episodes. It was That's My Burrito, where I had um, my guest Stan, my friend Stan. And I hope he doesn't mind me repeating this because, I mean, he did share it in that episode. But he did say that at one point, you know, he was going through a severe depression too. And he you know, like, was having a hard time. Um, and so, again, the the goal of this podcast is to share those things, is to share these experiences and um, sorry, I'm trying to look up something that is relevant to this today. So, yeah. So, I, I, I did you know, have that episode where we touched upon the topic briefly, you know, depression and anxiety and suicide and, you know, what it, what it genuinely looks like. And so here is again, how I ended up getting off topic because that I was saying that that was the goal of this podcast to educate and to share my own personal experiences with certain situations. Before I go into this, though, I have to make one thing very, very clear. This episode is to educate people on what these mental health issues genuinely look like. I am probably, I I am a huge, huge advocate for mental health because I will tell you I've seen so many people go through it. I have personally been through it. And I can tell you, it is genuinely some of the worst feelings you will ever have. What it does to you, nobody talks about. Mental health, when it comes to me, is something you do not mess with. It is something you don't pretend It is something you don't disregard. It is something you don't joke about because it is 100% a serious issue. And when I say that I am so serious about mental health, I really do not have any respect for people who joke about it or pretend or fake or use 
excuse me, <clears throat> there's my allergies again, or use it as a means for attention. Because there are attention seekers out there. And I've come across many in recent months. And I will tell you, I'm going to tell you in this episode today what it genuinely feels like. Because I am honestly tired of, one, the people who are actually like, again, pretending or, or using it for attention or trying to call attention um, to get sympathy or to get like any type of reaction whatsoever. People like that, I just, I, like, I, I won't say people like that just, it skews me out. It like irks me to my core because when you're, when you're somebody who goes through it, has been through it and is constantly trying to find a way out of the darkness, like for somebody to claim they are, they have no idea. They literally have no idea. And so when I see that there are people out there who are using this to to gain the attention from somebody, especially when I see somebody that I love or any of my friends fall into that that trap, oh my God, I, I just, I can't, I can't. It, it bothers the hell out of me. So I'm going to share what it feels like. I'm going to share what anxiety, depression, and and suicide can look like, what it can feel like, what it can actually do to you. And the reason why I talk about all these things is because nobody realizes the gravity of these illnesses. Anxiety is not just anxiety. It's not just you having a small panic attack and worrying about something that you can't get off your mind. Anxiety is constant. It is a constant feeling of dread that something bad is going to happen. I've talked about this in another one of my episodes that the square cube reference, whereas most people will look at a situation and they'll see like four possible outcomes. And, you know, for the most part, like to a normal person, they see four potential outcomes and maybe one of the outcomes will be like a bad outcome or worst case scenario as we you know call it and then the other three outcomes will be okay for a person with anxiety we see a fucking cube and we see 16 possible outcomes and the majority of those outcomes are worst case scenarios can you imagine finding 16 different worst case scenarios for one single situation and believing that any one of those scenarios is going to happen to you. It is this constant feeling of waiting for the shoe to drop. It is this constant feeling of how could this possibly go wrong and waiting for things to get worse and worse and worse. And it's, it's literally creating hell in your mind And then not being able to get out of it. Like you're literally stuck there. You have imprisoned yourself in your head full of all of these worst case scenario thoughts. And 
if you can't find your way out, it gets worse for you. And most people with anxiety cannot find their way out. But here's what people don't talk about. The physical symptoms. Anxiety is not just mental. It's not just a mental situation. It's not just, you know, a situation where we just have these thoughts all the time. And then, you know, sometimes the thoughts go away and then we're back to normal and we could go about our lives again. No. The worse your anxiety is, you start to present physical symptoms. Anxiety can look like high-functioning anxiety where you are, you know, again, working at your best, right? And I do sometimes present with high-functioning anxiety right before I crash and burn and go into burnout and depression. That is my method. That is my anxiety, the way it presents itself. And it's horrible. So because I'm an overachiever and because it's been naturally embedded in me through my upbringing to always like strive for greatness and do better. Um, you know, perfectionism has always been an issue for me. It's always been something where I've either put pressure on myself or I've created scenarios in my head where other people are <clears throat> putting pressure, uh, pressure on me, or I feel like somebody has an expectation of me and I have to exceed that expectation. Like I've always been one to want to exceed expectations. That's just how I've been. But when you're someone with high-functioning anxiety and you're constantly on the go. So, I mean, like, there were days where I would just attack my work plan for the day, go above and beyond, do all these things, multitask. Then I would clean the house or clean the apartment. I would be, like, constantly doing dishes. I would do chore after chore after chore and make sure that everything was, like, perfect or as perfect as I can get it and you go this way for a while but here's the thing all of this work is kind of like physical exercise right you're physically and mentally exerting yourself so when you're running around like a crazy person cleaning an entire apartment you're getting your heart rate up you're you know, like bending over in certain places. So now you start to feel the physical aspects, right? Because you are literally overworking yourself. You think you are capable of more than what you're actually capable of. So it's like the, the adrenaline gets going, like all of this, like in your mind is like, you gotta work, work, work. You're exerting yourself mentally and physically. And so you end up just in physical pain. Sometimes you end up hurting yourself, right? you do something stupid and you'll end up having an accident or slip like a slip and fall but then there's also again the actual long-term effects of anxiety let's talk about those I feel like this episode is going to be all over the place but you know what again people need to know long-term effects of anxiety long-term effects of burnout is that one you're physically tired all the time with burnout. You have little to no energy to do even the most basic of things that you need to do. And these are the same things with depression too. You know what? I feel like I should go into like a list of symptoms that, you know, are actually on 
I follow this page on Instagram called Real Depression Project, and it's an amazing page, super educational, and I feel like it makes things relatable to everybody. So before I even do that, I want to tell you about what my what my anxiety did to me. It's probably easier to do it that way rather than listing a myriad of symptoms just so that people get educated. Fuck, it, fuck the education at this point. I'm going with my experience because that's going to be the best way that I can tell people what it really looks like. Because you know what? At this point, I feel like by me trying to do it textbook, it's not going to get the point across because textbooks never get the point across. So I'm over here trying to play nice as usual, and I'm trying to do things the right way or, again, the proper way. Fuck proper. We never did proper. I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. I don't know why I'm doing this to you guys as an audience. And again, maybe it's because I have this wall where I really don't want to get vulnerable and I really don't want people to look at me differently. But at the same time, the whole point of my podcast was to be raw and to be different. And I need to go back to that. I need to go back to that place where it's not about how I look to people anymore. I don't care. It's about honesty and it's about truth. Because one of the things that I had prided myself on when I did the branding with Catherine is that she called me the truth translator and that I really honored and valued the truth. And so here's my truth. At my most anxious, when things are really bad for me, when I can't get out of my own head, the square cube thing is probably the best analogy that I've ever used in explaining it. I am the type of person that will think of those 16 different worst case scenarios. And then once I have these 16 different worst case scenarios in my head, I usually end up focusing on the one that feels the absolute worst. The one that will most likely destroy me mentally, physically, emotionally. And by destroy me, I mean like it will actually absolutely break my heart to the point where I'm just, I, I literally make myself cry. That is what it looks like. I pick the worst case scenario, the one that will hurt the most, the one that will impact me the most, the one that'll be the most detrimental, the one that'll be the most heartbreaking you can ever imagine. I choose that as the outcome I think is going to happen. And that's the one that replays in my mind over and over again. So not only does it make me cry when I first think of it because I'm literally breaking my own heart, but then on top of that, I hold on to that worst case scenario and I repeat it in my head over and over and over again. And I think about the situation that I'm in and I think about the possible results and I think about that result and then I try and find a different way. So I'm like, all right, you know what, Melissa? Obviously, that's not the way you want things to go. How can we do this a different way? So I ask myself the question, how can we do this differently? So I try and think of different scenarios. Draw another cube, Melissa, basically, right? This is, again, me trying to explain this so that people understand it. So it's like, all right, Melissa, try and see things differently, right? Because that's what every personal development coach teaches you anyway. Try and look at things differently. Okay, let's go. Draw another cube, Melissa. So I draw another cube. And I end up thinking of 
16 additional worst case scenarios. So now I have 32 worst case scenarios. But of the new 16 worst case scenarios, I pick one that's even worse than the first one. And I envision that and it's even more heartbreaking than the first one. So now I'm sitting there in a panic because I thought of something even worse than the first thing that I thought of. And I replay that one over and over and over again in my head. And I keep replaying that scenario and I'm like, okay, but you know what? The first case scenario, the first worst case scenario wasn't as bad. So maybe that will be the outcome. Neither one of them are positive outcomes. Neither one of them are anything to look forward to or hope for. So I have created in my brain a perpetual state of hopelessness. Do you know what hopelessness feels like? It fucking sucks. But not only did I create this perpetual state of worry and panic and hopelessness, I am now mentally exhausted because in my brain, there are 32 worst case scenarios playing in my head like a movie. I literally took one situation And I am playing 32 different outcomes in my head. And physically, I am tired. My brain does not want to work anymore, but it can't stop going. It can't stop. It keeps going and going and going. So physically, I am now exhausted. But you know what happens also? These worst case scenarios, I'm sending myself in a panic. I'm putting myself in a frenzy. I'm agitated. My heart rate is up. I am worried. I'm trying to like navigate this situation and find my way around it to the point where I'm now short of breath because again, I'm literally about to panic. So I'm hyperventilating because I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, please no, don't let this happen. I don't want that. Oh my God. That's horrible. When you stay in this state for days, for weeks, for months, and your heart is constantly racing and your mind is constantly going, it puts strain on your body. And then your diet is all fucked up. Like, I can't even tell you, my diet has been non-existent. I don't cook for myself when I'm in this state. I don't, because it's like, what's the point, right? I'm not going to be able to do it anyway. I can't function. And it's just like, I, I don't cook for myself. So, and then there are times where I just don't eat. So my week goes up and down. So like, I'll do, I don't eat, but then I get really hungry. So I binge and I feed my face until I'm full. Then I end up with a stomach ache because I ate so much. Um, But because I'm still hungry, like, I want to keep feeding my body. But my body's like, you've had enough. Like, you've literally overeaten all we can handle in this short amount of time. But then I'll think of the scenario again. And then I'll, like, not eat again. So it's this constant cycle of eating, not eating, eating, not eating. And then, like I said, your heart rate is just constantly going, right? You're constantly panicking. You're... You're experiencing shortness of breath multiple times a day. Your heart rate is up multiple times a day. Your cortisol stress levels are up multiple times a day to the point where eventually 
your heart gets tired. And your heart is like, yo, fuck this shit. Like, your heart has been overworked for days, weeks, months. And you literally start to feel like you're about to have a heart attack. Because your heart has been pumping harder than usual because your heart rate is elevated. Like, when I have anxiety, I, I used to wear my Fitbit and I would literally watch my heart rate get up to, like, 115 beats a minute. If I had a really bad anxiety to the point where I was about to throw up, my heart rate would go up to 130 beats a minute. Do you guys know that when you're exercising, your first zone of exercise is usually between that 90 and 112 heart rate range? So it's almost like you're doing zone one exercising. A heart rate of like 130 for me would be considered cardio. So imagine doing constant cardio and you're not even doing cardio. Your heart rate is just that high because you're in a constant state of panic. Or again, imagine doing zone one exercise, which is basically like the bare minimum that it would take to get your heart rate up, right? Like, I was constantly in a state of that zone one. So when your heart rate is constantly at like 90 or 115 or 112, you're pretty much like doing zone one exercise like every day of the week or all throughout the day, multiple hours a day. That's tiring. And it gets to the point where or at least for me, it got to the point where I started to feel symptoms of a heart attack. My left arm would go numb. I would feel massive chest pain. I'd feel dizziness, lightheadedness. Um, For women, sometimes it also like presents as like the slight pinch in between your shoulder blades. I would get that. So it would just feel like tension in the upper part of my neck and shoulders. I would get those migraines, those headaches, that tightness in my chest, shortness of breath, left arm numb, heart rate elevated, usually recorded at between like, again, 115, 135. And at one point last year, I was feeling those heart attack symptoms for a week. And I didn't say anything about it because again, I knew it wasn't a heart attack, but here's the thing. You are genuinely at risk for one. You are genuinely at risk of having a heart attack when your anxiety gets that bad because your heart rate is so irregulated. You can actually have a heart attack. I learned that last year. I read about it. So I knew I needed to calm myself down. Depression is no better. And I can tell you that when I get depressed, 
darkness is my best friend. And so darkness is my best friend when it comes to depression. When I was younger, when I first started experiencing depression, I was probably in my teens. And and also, I remember having a couple of these experiences in college too. But when I would get to the point where it went from anxiety to depression, I would start finding dark places. It's kind of like what happens when a cat goes to die or when a, a, a pet goes to die. They start looking for dark places. I want you all to pay attention to this because it's really, really important to understand that this is literally what it feels like for me. Like, can you imagine? Like, everybody knows that when, you know, a pet feels that their time is coming, they find dark spaces, right? They find a corner where they could be alone and isolated and not have to have anybody see them. And and they feel like they don't want to burden their family. So for them, it's better to just find a dark corner and a place where they could be alone so that they can go on, you know, peacefully and quietly without anyone knowing. That is what my depression when I get there, presents itself like. I find dark spaces. And if I can't find a dark space, I will create one. When I was younger, I used to hide under my blanket. Like, I would literally, like, come home and I would take my blanket, I would turn off my light, and just sleep under my blanket. And if that wasn't dark enough, I would take another blanket. And if that wasn't dark enough, I would crawl under my bed. And I would make sure that no light got through. It was literally almost like sensory deprivation. Um, to this day, I still do that. I find dark spaces or you know, sleep under my blanket and I wrap myself to where no light can get in. Um, Another bad spot for me, showers. Showers. I can spend 45 minutes in a shower just sitting on the floor of a shower doing nothing but with my thoughts because nobody will bother you in a shower. For me... Depression is doing things where nobody can bother me, right? Doing things in in those private areas. You know nobody's going to bother you when you're taking a shower. You know nobody's going to bother you when you're, you know, going number two and taking your poo. You know that if you can pretend to be asleep, nobody's going to bother you. They're going to let you sleep, so to speak. Even though that's not really what you're doing.
Honestly, I never thought I'd be describing it that way. But yes, my depression presents itself as a pet that is about to leave our realm. I find dark spaces because, again, it's that hopelessness for me. It's that feeling like nobody will care if I'm here or not. It's that feeling like it's better to be alone. It's that feeling of, I don't want anybody to see me this way. So I hide. I hide in corners and dark spaces. What's even worse about this is when nobody comes to find you. So for me, and again, I'm not doing this for the attention. I'm doing this because I genuinely feel like nobody cares. I genuinely feel the hopelessness. I genuinely feel like it's better to be alone than to be with somebody. I'm not present with them anyway. So for me, it's like, I can't be with you. I can't be present with you. My thoughts are too overwhelming right now. And I feel like I'm a burden. And I feel like all I'm going to do is make things worse. I feel like I'm ruining their mood and ruining their day because I can't be present and I can't participate. So I'll take a shower. I'll sit there and be like, hey, I'm going to take a quick shower. And that's not true. I take 45 minute showers. Or I'll sit there and be like, hey, I'm tired. I'm going to go to sleep. And that's not true. I crawl under my blanket and I wrap myself and I let the light in. If I could find a dark corner, I will find a dark corner just so that I could be alone. Just so that I don't feel like a burden to anybody. Just so that no one can see me. But the worst part about that is when nobody comes looking for you. When people can't sit there and recognize that something is wrong. And that's why depression turns into suicidal thoughts because you're sitting there in your lowest of lows in the worst moments imaginable and nobody can see it. Nobody recognizes it. Nobody notices it. Nobody knows that this is what you're going through and that this is what you're experiencing. So here's why I get upset. Because there have been people recently who, and again, I don't know all these people directly. Uh, You know, I've seen, um, let's just say one of them is someone that my boyfriend knows. And others is, again, stuff that I've just seen around. Um, But I've seen people call attention to depression and suicide. Here's the thing. There's a huge difference between depression and sadness. And I saw this post on Real Depression Project and I thought they explained it really, really well. And I tried to explain it to those who need to learn to recognize the signs. 
And the most ironic thing is that, well, I won't even go into that because, again, it's not my business. But anyway, sadness versus depression. I feel like people need to know this before I get into why I'm so upset. So sadness is an emotion and depression is a mental illness that impacts one mentally, emotionally, physically, behaviorally, and spiritually. Sadness is temporary, whereas depression can last for many years. Sadness is caused by a negative event in the present. And depression is caused by many contributing factors that are complex and could have happened almost as far as many years ago. Sadness is often visible with clear signs such as crying. This is the biggest part here. Sadness is visible. People cry. They, you know, when, when someone is sad, they cry, they drink, they um, act out, they constantly, like, ask for your attention. They seek the validation because they're sad. Depression is invisible. You do not see when someone is depressed, which is why when I'm depressed and I'm hiding in a corner and I'm sitting there and nobody's, you know, and I'm, I'm like in that moment, I get upset that nobody can see it. I'm like, how can they not see it? Because to us it's there, but that's the fucked up part about depression. It is invisible to the outside eye. And it makes us feel even worse because it makes us feel like we're not important. But we don't realize. Nobody can see it. So it says depression is often invisible with no correlation between the intensity of one's symptoms and how visible visible their suffering becomes. E.g. you can be suicidal and turn up to work appearing fine. So, again, without getting too, too personal, um, someone, and again, I'm saying this because the only reason why I'm saying this, and I don't care at this point if my boyfriend gets mad, I really don't, um, I'm saying this because it happened when he was next to me. So we were spending time together. It was our night to be with each other. Like, you know, we have certain nights where it's just me and him time. And our me and him time was interrupted because someone that he knows was claiming that they were depressed and suicidal. And I flipped a shit. Because again, if you were genuinely depressed and genuinely suicidal, you are not going to announce it. You are not going to text anybody. You are not going to reach out to anybody. And that is the reason why so many people pass from suicide. Because they don't reach out. Because they don't talk about it. Every single thing you have seen on TV Every single thing you have seen in the news, 
about those who have died from suicide is true. They do not talk about it. They do not call attention to it. They do not say, I'm going to do this. It does not happen. Ask anybody who has genuinely gone through it and they will tell you that when they had those thoughts, they never, ever thought about telling anybody. Because here's the thing. We already feel like a burden. Why place that burden on, a, on somebody that we love? And also it's that sense of hopelessness that they're not even going to care, even if we did tell them. So we don't tell them. Think of all the celebrities that have passed from suicide, right? Robin Williams, Kate Spade, Heath Ledger, Chester Bennington from Linkin Park. Think of the articles you read after the fact. Every single one of their family members said, I never knew anything was wrong. That person never talked about or never showed signs of suicide. They never once mentioned being depressed. They never once mentioned any type of suicidal ideations whatsoever. One minute they were there, the next they were gone. That is what genuine depression and suicide looks like. We will never tell. We will never share. We will never text anybody and say, oh my God, like this is what I'm feeling. I hate my life. No. No. Those words will never come out of our mouth. I go in a corner. I go in a shower. I go under my blanket. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the darkness again I remember spending a lot of my time as a teenager under my blanket or under my bed I remember coming home from school doing my homework and going under my blanket or going under my bed. And then I remember like keeping my phone next to me so that I can look at the clock so that when it got close to dinner time, if I was under my bed, I would crawl back on top of my bed and I would wake up and I would pretend that I was either napping or sometimes I would just like pretend to do homework just so that my parents never knew something was wrong. I remember that there were other days where I would hold on to it until after dinner because it got so exhausting of doing the back and forth. So at one point I started to think smarter and it was kind of like, well, instead of, you know, like coming home and doing my homework and then hiding under the blanket or hiding under the bed 
or coming home and not doing my homework because there were times where I couldn't even do that. And that's also how I got in trouble a lot in school because there were times where I just couldn't even do my homework assignments. And I would just kind of like, again, crawl under my bed or put the blanket over my head and not do my homework and not, and I would get in trouble at school the next day, but then I would tell, I wouldn't tell my parents that I was getting in trouble at school. So I created this perpetual cycle of just like failing. And again, when you feel like you failed, you become even more hopeless and you become even harder on yourself. So I got smarter. And if it was a day where I decided I wasn't going to do my homework, um, I would wait until after dinner. And then I would just come into my room and go to sleep early. There were times where I forced myself to do my homework so that my parents didn't see that anything was wrong. There were times where I forced myself to be present so that they didn't see that anything was wrong. And there were a lot of times where I felt that they were starting to notice. So I would shift my patterns a little bit so that they thought I was okay. I remember once I got to college and I started learning how to drive, um, or once I got to college and I was driving, I should say, and I was driving like I was a driver. Um, If I felt like, again, they were catching on to my methods, I should say, I would go for a drive. I would say that I'm going out. And I would just go for a drive and I would drive um, the parkway to nowhere. Sometimes I would drive all the way to my aunt's house just to circle back around. Um, Sometimes I would just drive the parkway to the beaches and then turn back around. And sometimes I would just go to where there was this industrial area where I learned how to drive and just hang out there for a little bit and then turn back around. And then when I got home, I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm so tired. And I would go back to sleep under my blanket. What sucks about where I am now, and by that I mean the apartment, I don't have places to hide here. And that has honestly made things worse because I don't have anywhere where I can actually like go into that dark corner and hide. And so I've been depressed in front of my boyfriend and he hasn't even noticed. And it's such a shitty feeling when you're forced to be in front of someone knowing that you are absolutely depressed and they can't even notice it. 
Because again, depression is invisible. So I remember like being next to him and watching movies with him and watching TV with him. And again, forcing myself to be present because it's not like I have dark places to go here and it's not like I have dark places to hide. So I was forcing myself to be present and he never even knew. He never even knew that in my own head I was in darkness. Just like there were times where I would tell him, like, I'm tired just so that I could go to sleep or just so that I could hide under the covers. There were times where I would cuddle with him, even though, like, I felt so disconnected. And it sucks. I kind of feel like it's it's almost worse. Because again, you're forced to be in the light. You're forced to expose yourself. Like you're literally, you can't, you don't have a corner where you can hide in and isolate yourself. So it's almost like now on top of that, you have to put on this show and you have to like be present in front of someone who is supposed to know you and they don't even see what's really going on. So this is why I get annoyed and angry and frustrated at the types of people who sit there and call attention to it. This is not something you call attention to. This is not something you fake. This is something that those who have gone through it know the genuine hell of it. And the worst part about it is, again, like... There are people who get away with it, right? Because they know that they have friends and family who will fall into the trap of, oh my God, are you okay? Like, please don't. They get the attention that they want. They get the response that they want. But I'll tell you one thing. Someone who genuinely goes through it, I ain't telling anybody. Do you know how hard this was for me to share this in this podcast episode today? Do you know how much I wanted to avoid talking about this? Because I didn't want anybody to know that that's what's been going on. I didn't want anybody to know that those are my thoughts recently. And I'm not saying like recently, like last couple weeks, I'm saying like a couple months ago, but I didn't want people to know. 
because now my secrets are revealed. So I'm going to have to find a new method. Right? Because I just exposed all my secrets. And maybe that's the healing part, right? Maybe that's where the healing comes in because now somebody would be capable of recognizing the signs, but that's not what I wanted to do this for. (laughs) But yeah. Do you think (laughs) that I wanted to sit here and reveal my secrets and put myself in a place where now I have to find a new method of being depressed. Like, it fucking sucks. Because <laughs> now everybody knows, like, hey, if Melissa's, like, under her blankets, like, check on her. Is she okay? You know? Like, if Melissa's in a dark corner, like, check on her. Is she okay? I have to find something new. <laughs> But yeah, the whole purpose, again, like I said, of this podcast has always been to share my experiences, to share and have conversations that are hard to have. And this is probably the hardest conversation I'll ever have, because again, I don't know what my future holds and that's the other part about anxiety and depression that people don't realize and let's go back to that control thing for a minute that I mentioned early on the thing that has been hurting my relationship that also comes into play with anxiety because with anxiety since you're envisioning all of these worst case scenarios and since you don't know what's going to happen and you're constantly waiting for like the impending doom as it as i consider it um you literally feel like you have no control over anything You have no control over the emotions. You have no control over the end result. You have no control over the situation. So you do everything in your power to try and get control back, to try and make sense of it, to try and create a positive outcome. Because with anxiety, you are desperate for that positive outcome. And that's what people don't understand. We don't mean to be controlling. It's not our intention. We don't want to sit there and constantly worry all the time. We are trying so hard to get out of that mental cycle. We are trying so hard to get out of our anxiety. And we're trying so hard to not think of these worst case scenarios. But we can't. So... We try so hard to do what we can to flip the script and create a positive outcome. And all we end up doing is more damage. 
And then we get to that point of hopelessness because we're literally watching everything that we do fail. Everything that we try fails. And when we keep failing, we literally get to the point of hopelessness. And it's like there's nothing left. And you sit there asking yourself, what else is there? I've tried everything. And there's no positive way. So that's genuinely what it all feels like. I am not controlling by any means. But again, in my mind, I just see all of these negative outcomes and I see all of these negative scenarios and my heart breaks at each and every one of them. And so I try and do what I can to make sure that it ends positively and that I can somehow like create a happy ending because that's what we want right a person with anxiety just wants a happy ending not because we're trying to live in a fairy tale it's not it it's because in our head all we see is a bad ending and all we want is a happy one All we want to know is that everything is going to be okay. But we don't believe that. If I'm being totally honest, it's why I wanted to be single for the longest time. And it's why I was okay with being single for the longest time. (laughs) Like, when I met my boyfriend, there was a part of me that didn't want to do this because I was just like, what if I really genuinely fall for him and my anxiety finally takes hold and I end up ruining this one too? And I feel like that's what's been going on. Because I feel like under any other normal circumstances, I would be able to handle the things that we've been going through. (laughs) A part of me feels like I'm meant to be single. And it brings me back to that emotionally abusive relationship that I had. Because I remember him saying that I would be difficult to love and that nobody would love me or that nobody could ever love me. And there are times where (laughs) I feel like that. And again, it's nothing, nothing that he does and everything with what is ingrained in my head 
but I do feel like my anxiety makes it hard to love me. And I do feel like I can't handle things the way a normal person would. And I do feel like I ruin relationships because I get into that sense of control. And I've had people tell me like, oh, you could break free from those patterns. But the thing is with anxiety, you can't. That need for control is not coming from a place of like boundaries and needing to heal like a part of you that, you know, has just created bad behaviors in shitty relationships in your past. No, the need from control, that need for control is literally part of my mental illness in where because I feel like there is no positive outcome, I have to create one. And I am desperate to create one. And the same thing applies to why, again, like, I didn't want to share everything that was going on. And I painted this picture that things are okay because I was trying to cope with my anxiety. And these are things that people don't realize are all part of it. I needed to cope with what was going on in my head. And I knew that if I couldn't create this this outcome, if I, if I didn't believe it, it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> You're so desperate to create a happy ending that, again, you just control, control, control. And I hate it. I hate who I become when I'm this way. And I wish people understood how genuinely difficult it is. I wish people understood just how hard these mental illnesses really are. Because I'm telling you, they fucking suck. And I would give anything to not have them. I would give anything to be okay. To not have these thoughts. Cats out of the bag, folks. Um... I think it's been a while since I've been this real and and raw and honest with you guys, and I'm sorry. And there's probably a lot more that I could say, but I think I've said enough. Um, I really hope that anybody who listens to this knows that there are people who are genuinely going through this. And again, I I need people to understand that depression is truly invisible. It is invisible. I need people to understand that that is the key difference between 
sadness and depression, like that post said, depression is so invisible. And anxiety is so deep. It runs so deep. So, for anybody who's going through all of this or any of this, I see you. And I know that may not mean like much to you right now, but I hope it's enough for you to just make it one more day and take it day by day. And if you have to listen to this episode every single day, I want you to know that you're here today. And so today I see you. And if you listen to this episode again tomorrow, I see you. And if you listen to this episode again the day after that, I see you. And if you need me, I'm here. Um, you know, you can reach out Instagram, Facebook. Just, you know, follow the Motivation Burrito. And reach out. There's, I'm going to finish this with my favorite line in Alice in Wonderland. And this, like, the reason why I love Alice in Wonderland so much is because Alice in Wonderland just deals with so many different things on so many different levels, right? Like, they, there are people who have analyzed Alice in Wonderland and they talk about, you know, the rabbit, how he's always late. And they say, like, the rabbit shows, shows signs of anxiety and a need for control, you know? Like, there, there's different nuances in Alice in Wonderland that touch upon different mental illnesses. But there is a quote... <laughs> that I have, and I think I've also said this before on another episode. Um, I can't remember what episode it was. I was trying to look back and see if I can like remember what episode it was, but I remember saying this in another episode. I have it tattooed on me. It is literally my favorite quote from Alice in Wonderland and it will always 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 apply and it will always 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 be my favorite and it says when you can't look on the bright side I will sit with you in the dark and sometimes all we all we want is someone to sit with us in the dark Because sometimes that's all we got. You know? And so, yeah. Again, that is literally the easiest way I can describe it. That is the best analogies that I could give. Like, I am sharing my experiences with you. Um, So for those of you who have been sitting in darkness in any way whatsoever, 
know that I'm sitting with you. Because there are plenty of times where I wished that someone was there to sit with me. So I will sit with you. And we can just be in the dark together until you're ready to come out. Um, anyway, I, I honestly don't have much faith in my podcast these days. I don't think too many people listen to it anymore. Um, I'm hoping that this message gets out to someone who may need it, someone somewhere. And if it reaches anybody, just know that you have probably just witnessed and heard a part of me that I've never shared. So please, like, please know that this was, again, not an easy thing to share. Please know that this is a very, very vulnerable episode. Thank you if you've made it this far for listening. Um, I pray that if there's anybody in your life that is going through this, you now have an awareness to help them in any capacity. And if you can help someone today, please do. Please reach out to someone. Feel free to reach out to me if you want to, if you feel called to. But just hold the people you love a little tighter. Love them a little more. And if you feel like, even if you feel like you love them enough, chances are they could probably use a little more love. Chances are you could probably show a little more love. And never, ever hurts to give them extra. Have a great week, everyone. Um, Hopefully I'll be back before the holidays. And if not, enjoy your holidays. I love everybody, and if you listen to this episode, thank you. This has been The Motivation Burrito. Again, you could follow me on Instagram and on Facebook at The Motivation Burrito on Instagram and The Motivation Burrito Podcast on Facebook. I love each and every one of you, and thank you for allowing me to be this vulnerable today.